Blog Talk Radio. Let me tell you about something new. A new show called G's Power. G's Power. Real talk for real saints. Are you ready? And it's for real. Welcome to G's Power Hour live every weekday at 11.30 a.m. on Never Had It So Good Entertainment Network. Your host, G, will bring you informative and entertaining guests and a variety of topics in a way that you can absorb and enjoy. Listen in weekdays and call in at 516-387-1944. We love interaction. All shows can be downloaded if you miss one or found on iTunes the next day. G's Power Hour is powered by Never Had It So Good Sports Media Network. Well, good morning, brothers and sisters, kings and queens, angels and saints, ladies and gentlemen, TGIF. Welcome to the G's Power Hour radio show right here on Blog Talk Radio. I'm your host, G. Thanks so much for being with us today. Can you tell I'm, I'm just a little bit happy that it's Friday? I, I just need, I need to be able to catch up on some sleep and some other things. So, but um, glad, glad it's Friday. Glad you all are with us. And... Don't forget your homework assignment. If you don't have your sample ballot, if you don't have your absentee ballot, you need to check with the supervisor of elections office today and make sure that you get it, or at least go on the website and put your address in, and it's ocfelections.com uh, or .org. I'll, I'll get it. I'll put it on there. And you can put your address in there, and you can find out, you know, who's running for what. Um I, I, I kind of looked at some a little bit today. I haven't seen that many non-party affiliates um, on there running for stuff before, so there's quite a few. So there's there's something for everybody, even though we have a closed primary. There's something for even people who are not affiliated with one of the two uh, big um, parties. So the uh, reason I'm saying that, early voting starts on Monday. Monday. So be ready. In the meantime... We have things that we just can't let go because others will let them go too quickly without paying close attention. We can't. And so today we are talking about Breonna Taylor and who better to give us the 411 than attorney from Anderson and Welch, Kevin Anderson. Good morning. How are you? Good Good morning. I'm doing fine. Thank you for uh, having me on today. And you are correct. Breonna Taylor uh, federal criminal charges are a hot item, and news is a buzz with that event. Okay, so Kevin, break it down for us for for the the ones that have had their they head head in the sand or, or kind of moved on a little bit too quickly. Let's talk about what exactly happened to Breonna Taylor. Yeah, you know, we, we, you know, people are gonna say you're digging up old wounds. They we need to have them properly addressed. Okay. So if you you just think that the Breonna Taylor is old news, uh, there are additional chapters that have been written as uh, late as yesterday. That mm-hmm. chapter consists of uh, federal charges against four Louisville uh, Metropolitan Police officers who were involved in the raid and uh, shooting uh, resulting in her yeah. Mm-hmm. So just as background for a few people who might have forgotten what happened, March 13th of 2020, uh, mm-hmm. a drug investigation culminated into supposedly a warrant, which was a no-knock warrant, permitting these officers from the Louisville Metropolitan Police Department in Kentucky uh, to go to the Taylor residence for the purpose of entering and seizing uh, drugs or any other contraband that they might uh, find. When the officers went in the house, first of all, it was at night, it was dark, and they just burst in, and Ms. Taylor, along with uh, a friend of hers who uh, was with her, we believe it was her uh, boyfriend, uh, he, uh, the boyfriend came out of the room and started firing shots. One of the shots 
uh, kept an officer who was a part of the entry and raid team. These officers collectively fired 22 shots, and one of the shots hit killing her. Another officer who was a part of the raid team left the residence and went to the side of the residence and began to fire into a window, which was a part of the, the Taylor residence, 10 times. Five of those shots went in the residence and through a wall entering another residence. Ultimately, the police officer who fired the shots into the window, he was indicted in a state criminal case, went to trial, and was acquitted of reckless endangerment person in the residence which was adjoined to the Taylor residence. In fact, he wasn't even charged with any crime related to the killing of Ms. Taylor. None of the other officers were charged either federally or in a state criminal court forum. Fast forward. Yesterday, the Department of Justice, which is a, a federal component, not a Kentucky component, brought forth what is known as uh, indictments and an information charging these four individuals with civil rights-related claims. The claims are criminal in nature, and I will tell you who the defendants are. Joshua James, Kelly Goodlett, and Kyle Meany. Finally, Brett Hankinson, the same officer who was acquitted in state criminal court. Now, what I've done is I have uh, obtained the indictments and the, uh, the charging document, which is an information for Ms. Goodlett, and um, they should be uh, in your inbox so that you can distribute them to our listeners. To take a look at what the specific uh, underlying information is relative to the charges. Um, it's uh, a little mm-hmm. bit of reading, probably probably somewhat cumbersome. Um, so we'll unpack it today um, in order uh, to make some type of sense of, of what's being reviewed. Um, so let, let me just let me just put something out mm-hmm. there because in talking about who the defendants are. Many people were unaware that one of these defendants is a woman, Kelly Goodlett. I can't tell you how many people didn't know that until yesterday. They Mm. only heard about Mm. Brett Hankinson, who is a man, but one of the defendants is a woman. And apparently this woman is a cooperating defendant. Um, But let me just stop right there because, gee, you probably have about 40 questions that you want to start hurling at me. (laughs) No, I'm I'm letting uh, you go with this one. I'm I'm serious. I'm I'm learning along the way. And I I guess one of the things I just do want to say, I do want to comment on is there's lessons to be learned in terms of how we approach cases that affect our community. We have to kind of, you know, the the first thing that you want to do is, if they don't convict them on, on murder, you know, or, or the, the most obvious charge, sometimes we tend to give up, and that's not, that's never what we should do. If you got to take any lessons, take any, take a lesson from how they convicted Al Capone. Okay, <laughs> if anything, they did not convict convict them for the the most uh, obvious crimes. They couldn't get them on that, so they went around yeah, and they, yeah, they got them for for tax evasion. So. I mean, sometimes you have to go another route to get people to pay for their crimes, you know, um, because it's not the, the, um, I guess the the resolution is not necessarily the most obvious one, and this is one of those cases. So we have to see how this plays out. But please go ahead. Well, the Department of Justice will intervene for a number of reasons. And one of those reasons is where, the state system either fails us or has an inadequate or deficient remedy for the uh, event that takes place. Uh, for example, 
uh, in the Rodney King case where these officers were seen uh, on video beating him senselessly and were uh, arrested and charged at the state level uh, for excessive force uh, and battery. Uh, They were acquitted. At least one of them was acquitted, the the main person, uh, Sergeant Coons. And ultimately, the the Department of Justice picked the case up and moved forward with those charges. Um, You know, you see this often. I think in the Ahmaud Arbery, now I think I know, in the Ahmaud Arbery case, the same thing um, has taken place. The, even though those uh, those three men were convicted for murdering Mr. Aubrey, the, the Department of Justice went forward with the civil rights criminal charges against those men as well. And um, you see the same thing with uh, George Floyd, uh, you know, in the George Floyd matter. That um, has culminated now into, uh, well, the, the federal case um, against uh, – uh, the uh, the officer who uh, killed Mr. Floyd um, is over, and um, he is uh, now uh, going to be doing federal time for the the, uh, the civil rights violations, uh, which uh, are murder uh, against uh, Mr. Floyd. Uh, but you're so right. You're, you're so right. You know, when we when we have one door that's closed, you know, don't just turn around and go home. There are other remedies if we pursue those remedies. Uh, but, but make no mistake, this doesn't happen all the time. So I, it's just not something that we are going to see uh, replicated in our communities over and over and over again. It's just, it's just not, not reality. I would like it to be reality. Um, mm-hmm. if, uh, you're thinking that this is routine. It is not routine. It's just simply not routine. But no. uh, these officers in the, uh, in the Taylor case uh, were – Charged, uh, first of all, uh, two of the officers, uh, Officer James and Meany, they were charged in separate indictments. Uh, and an indictment, for our listeners, is a charging document which emerges or is produced by a group of citizens known as a grand jury. The grand jury meets in, they are spoken to and led by a prosecutor so that they can consider a number of things, one of which is whether criminal charges are appropriate. If the grand jury decides that charges are appropriate, they will produce a document that results in what's known as an indictment, which charges the people who they have now agreed should be held accountable for a crime. Joshua James and Cal Meany, they were charged with carrying and approving a false search warrant. That is the, the, the uh, civil rights offense that um, they are going to be required to answer to and also obstruction offenses for their roles in the, the raid that resulted in Miss um, Taylor's uh, death. Um, so um, they, let me ask you, let, let me ask you this. Um, first of all, did you, were you aware that the, these charges were coming uh, or, or the possibility of these charges? Um, you know, those of us that are not necessarily in the know probably wouldn't, unless you're closely following the case still. Um, you know, a lot of us probably thought, you know, it was that was it, it was over. Um, but you're, you know, you run in a different circle. Was there was there any indication that these charges were coming? I suspected this because of my experience. There mm-hmm. had been murmurings. There had been murmurings, but. Um, you know, the U.S. Uh, Department of Justice, uh, they are uh, generally uh, closed-mouthed and tight-fisted. Things leak out from time to time, but um, I'm not surprised, I'll say that. And, and I had uh, read a few things, um, might have been scuttle, could have been factual. Apparently, uh, that information was accurate. Uh, we knew that uh, there was uh, something 
uh, afoot uh, because of the uh, lackluster investigation that uh, took place at the state level. Um, it didn't take a rocket scientist to read the, the, the tea leaves when the state court judge in Kentucky uh, untied the hands of the grand jury to speak. Uh, the grand jury proceedings are secret. Uh, you just don't get grand jury testimony. Um, e- even in a criminal case where uh, witnesses testify against a, a defendant, you, you still don't get the grand jury statements until that individual is brought into the courtroom and begins to testify against your client. Uh, you've heard the phrase, perhaps, uh, trial by ambush in the federal system. And it's mm-hmm. not quite that bad at times. There's, there's, there's something known as the Jinx Act, which allows the defendant to have access to statements that are being or are to be used against them. So, you know, in my experience, my uh, assistant U.S. attorneys will allow me reasonable access to the testimony in advance. But it's never, you know, to, to it's never to, um, as you say, uh, to advance to allow me to do what I would like to do if I could get it, you know, in months and months before the trial. So um, in this case, the state court judge allowed the grand jury to talk. I mean, that's unheard of, except in the most rarest of circumstances. And several of the jurors said that they were only presented in the state proceeding one person and one theory person was Brett Hankinson, and the theory was not homicide. The theory was reckless endangerment for the Mm. indiscriminate shooting into Miss Taylor's windows. And that's it. So, you know, that speaks volumes of where the the Kentucky executive branch uh, decided that the case should head. I believe the attorney general his name is uh, Daniel Cameron. Um, he is presently running for governor in that state. Uh, Daniel Cameron is a conservative uh, uh, Republican, and uh, the present governor, I believe he uh, is a Democrat. Uh, I believe so. So um, I, I, if you're shocked by that, you know, I, I, I'm, with, I'm shocked along with you as well. Okay. Um. Now, how do you know or have any indication in terms of the type of success that these, I would say, follow-up federal charges usually have? And, and I mean, we, we mentioned that you know you mentioned a few cases. Uh, what what type of and I to me it seems like they, that's where most of the success comes in. Um, I, I think they're to me a little bit more carefully crafted. Is that right? Oh, they, they're done after dress rehearsal. So they've had the opportunity. And when I say they, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about the uh, uh, assistant U.S. attorneys, the Department of Justice as a whole, has now mm-hmm. had the benefit of a state proceeding. So they have reviewed the testimony and the evidence uh, from the state proceeding and uh, can benefit from some of the mistakes or some of the, uh, the uh, uh, smart maneuvers which uh, occurred uh, in the state proceedings. So they, they really uh, don't have to reinvent the will. Uh, second, most of the time, most of the time, the defendants face greater criminal sanctions in the federal forum. So, uh, and they're coming to you after being convicted in the state forum. So they already, you know, have been, have been you know, brutalized. And uh, now they're, they're, they're showing up in the federal forum, and, and they're, they're raising the, the white flag, you know, before they even get out, of the, uh, get out of the vestibule from the holding cell, you know, saying, I give, I give. You know, for example, in this case, the uh, Breonna Taylor case, one of the defendants did not get indicted. This is the woman. Uh, she was a detective, Kelly mm-hmm. Goodlett. She was charged directly by the Department of Justice 
And that particular charge was presented through what is known as an information. And uh, an information is the name of the charging document that is produced directly from a prosecutor which asserts or alleges certain criminal activity. It does not go through a grand jury. That signals to me and it signals to every criminal practitioner uh, who has mm-hmm. heard this all that this woman is cooperating with the government and that mm-hmm. this woman is uh, probably in a position where she's uh, uh, already uh, negotiated a plea deal. Uh, why do I know this? Because of my experience in that if you see something coming down the pike, it is best to get ahead of it. And you get ahead of it by negotiating with the assistant U.S. attorneys about charges that should be brought, uh, what you could say to assist the prosecution to make it a little easier when the other defendants are now facing their respective prosecutions, Uh, And you start talking about things that would help in the sentencing process. That's why I know when I I look at an information that that something has happened here to make her kind of the lone person standing out with this uh, particular charging uh, arrangement. Yeah, even the ones of us that that watch too much – Crime TV and and crime drama can, can tell a little bit of something that would you know if that if you know certain people are are like front and center and and, uh, and other people who are involved are kind of like just kind of lurking behind the scenes and nothing's been said much about them you kind of almost figure um, they're they're kind of they're kind of helping uh, in some way shape or form you know and just just are not trying to call a lot of attention to themselves. Well. I mean, I mean, Miss Goodwood was the baby of the bunch. Um, you know, she was a detective uh, in uh, mm-hmm. the specialized unit that was organized for the purpose of conducting this raid that went, went uh, wrong. Uh, but she had only worked for the Louisville Metropolitan Police Department for about 10 years. Uh, mm-hmm. The supervisor of the unit was uh, Kyle Meany. He was a sergeant. Uh, he had been there since 2013. Then you've got uh, a person by the name of Joshua James who was indicted along with uh, Kyle Meany, who had worked for the agency for 15 years. Hankerson had worked there for 17 years. Uh, so when, when you start looking at the seniority or, or the, tenure, the uh, tenure of the officers, okay, it, it's, it's sort of taking shape now, you know, that, that uh, this – relatively junior officer is uh, ready to throw everybody under the bus to save herself, uh, even though uh, she participated in uh, some things that uh, resulted in the investigation taking another turn. So, um, you know, and and I I can break down what what they have, and I I think they, what she has been charged specifically with in in the particular case uh, as we move on with with our discussion today. Okay. Do you think um, when you say because she was kind of the junior one of the bunch, do you think in in a lot of these cases? Because I'm also thinking of maybe you know some of the participants with the uh, George Floyd murder. Do you think some of these people participate for because of peer pressure or? You know, fear of some consequences. You know, uh, uh, you know, because I'm sure that uh, uh, police officers are, are kind of uh, quickish in that sense, and I'm putting it mildly. But in, in terms of you know what you do, what you do to one, you do to all type of thing. Well, I do think that there is a, a degree of, of, of pressure, and uh, there's this uh, phrase the. Uh, the, the thin blue line uh, mm-hmm. where the police officers, uh, they stick together. Um, nobody snitches, nobody rats. Um, if we go in, we go in together. If we go down, we go down together. And if you turn on us, then you're going to be uh, this uh, person who's isolated and you're going to face a, a number of repercussions. 
Uh, remember the, the person Serpico? That, that was a, uh, it was actually a, a movie, but it was based on a true mm-hmm. story about a New York City police officer who uh, disclosed uh, a lot of uh, uh, criminal activity uh, and police corruption in the, uh, in the New York City Police Department. Um, a terrible, terrible, um, terrible uh, story about corruption. And also um, some shocking things that he had to go through because he decided that he was going to blow the whistle, so to speak. So, so yes, you know, to answer your question, he said, yes, they, they kind of go together. You know, they're out there together. And they know that, um, you know, they depend on each other to get each other's backs in, in dangerous situations. Um, and so they just sort of roll and, and do what um, they think they're supposed to do to support the team. It's just ironic to me that, you know, it's, it's, it shouldn't be. It's not a surprise. It's just kind of sad that the people that you depend on that are supposed to uh, – and I don't know, this this phrase just doesn't seem to work anymore, protect and defend, uh, are more concerned about protecting and defending themselves than protecting and defending the community that they got hired to do. Absolutely. Um, that is one of the reasons why uh, the Department of Justice intervenes, because these people are, are acting under color of law. Uh, they have the authority to sign affidavits that result in the arrest of citizens uh, for uh, nothing more than the officer's sworn statement supporting uh, the basis for the arrest. These officers mm-hmm. have the authorization to kill you if they decide in their discretion to do so without uh, the same type of scrutiny that uh, would be exercised over years, let's say, if you shot someone in the street. Uh, so mm-hmm. they have enormous authority and enormous latitude. And when that authority is misused and uh, their position, uh, trust in the community uh, is, is now uh, abused by things that they are deliberately doing uh, to abridge the civil rights of citizens and even to take the life of a citizen, uh, you betcha. Uh, there, you know, it's time to, to hold them accountable at a higher level. Wow. Yeah. All right. Um, so now – what do you foresee happening? How long do you think this will take? You know, what do you think that, that is being brought to the table that made the Justice Department decide, yeah, we can press charges? I believe that uh, Kelly Goodlett, uh, the detective, her, mm-hmm. uh, her input uh, certainly blew the lid off of things because she's going to. She's going to come in. I think she's cooperating. I just do. You don't get an information because you're, you're, you, know, you happen to be a, a female police officer or you happen to be a nice person. Um, you get an information rather than an indictment um, because you are doing something which merits uh, a separate uh, treatment. So, so I think that was the first thing that put uh, the Justice Department in a better position to really see what happened. Uh, because, uh, you know, what she did was she, uh, she met up with uh, one of the officers uh, who uh, needed false, like, false testimony or false circumstances to exist in order to support uh, what the officers said was the basis to go into the house. Um, she knew ahead of time that uh, the drug packages, which were alleged to have been delivered to the house, which served the basis for probable cause to enter the home, she knew that, that, that those statements were untrue. Uh, but yet um, she allowed those statements to uh, continue to be made without uh, disclosing the untruthfulness of those statements. And in addition, she deliberately, uh, she deliberately lied to federal investigators about those statements. Um, and she went as far as meeting with one of the defendants in the case in a, in a parking garage, and they contrived, they actually contrived uh, statements that would mislead the investigation, investigators and take the investigation into an entirely different direction. By her coming forward and now telling law enforcement or telling the Department of Justice that this happened, now you've got this level of collusion that um, is going to put the case back on the rails and also uh, implicate the person who was responsible for 
uh, that particular cover-up. What types of sentences are we looking at, possibly? Well, uh, you know, I got to tell you that that's going to be based on uh, what comes out in the wash. You know, they're, mm-hmm. they're charged with a, a number of things at this point, and uh, you, you better believe that there's going to be uh, some, some discussions about uh, the dismissal of certain charges in exchange for uh, pleading guilty to other charges. Uh, the federal uh, sentencing scheme is not as cut and dried as uh, one may think. Um, there's what's known as the, the United States Sentencing Guidelines, which takes into account the actual charge that is, uh, has been pled guilty to or for which you are found guilty uh, for, for committing. Uh, and uh, there are weights, there are factors uh, that are assigned to each particular crime. And then there are other factors, such as your criminal history, which I suspect is none of these officers. And then there are other factors relative to the particular characteristics of the offenses that are put on the matrix. And that will tell us where uh, the presumptive sentencing range uh, uh, exists. Uh, now, I will say this, that you know, there are going to be arguments to depart upwardly for certain things that have happened here. Um, you know, this, this event turned our country, uh, you know, upside down for a while. Uh, this was uh, something that has, uh, I believe, uh, begun a historic uh, movement that um, people are now uh, going to be talking about uh, until we close our eyes in death. Uh, you're talking about... Um, a, 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 this is the first time, this is the very first time that uh, the Department of Justice has indicted uh, police officers for killing a black woman in the history of the country. Um, so uh, they're, they're, you're going to, to see a push to try to aggravate or to, to elevate the sentencing level here. Then you're going to hear arguments, conversely, that you know, this should be treated as any other case. Uh, we've been here before uh, because there's a dynamic of race. We shouldn't uh, be overly stimulated to do what's excessive and what isn't necessarily called for under the circumstances. Let's counterbalance the good that they've done in the community. You know, so, you know, she's going to, particularly, is going to try to get what's known as a departure, uh, and we, we refer to it affectionately as a 5K1 departure. And, and what that is, is uh, under section uh, uh, five, you know, subsection K and you know, one, there is a provision in the guide in the sentencing guidelines to uh, give her less than what she would be ordinarily facing. It would allow the, the trial judge to sort of use unfettered discretion to uh, give her something much, much, much less. But, you know, I, I did send you though, uh, a penalty sheet that sort of gives you a range in that, that right now, if nothing else changes, you know, she's looking at a statutory a range of beginning at five years, but um, she's going to be subject to the guidelines. So, so, so there's going to be a lot of give and take there. And, and when we get closer to that, that time, G, you know, I'm mm-hmm. certainly you know, happy, happy to unpack that for you because that's, that's a whole nother show. That's a whole nother scheme. And, um, okay. you know, it's, it's a little confusing, but I, I, I know how to do it and uh, make it make sense to everybody um, so that, you know, it's, just, it's relatively clear what we're looking at and, and you know, what is uh, probably going to happen. Okay. We are going to take a quick break. We are here with Kevin Anderson of Anderson and & Welch, and we are talking about uh, the recent charges, the federal indictments from, um, uh, from the Breonna Taylor case. This is G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment, and we will be right back. Does it appear the long arm of the law is working against you instead of for you? Whom do you call when the boys in blue are pursuing you? When the wrong person behind bars may end up being you? 
With over 40 years combined legal expertise, Anderson and Welch bring to bear a smart, sound, sensible defense of those caught in what may be the unrelenting grip of the legal system. Turn to Anderson and Welch first to get ahead of trouble, not fall into it, by calling 561-832-3386. That's 561-832-3386. That's Anderson and Welch Law Firm online at andersonandwelch.com. Good afternoon. <laughs> Welcome back to Chief Power Hour. I never had it so good entertainment. You all know I'm a tech dummy, so you know I, I touch a button and, and the whole thing falls apart. Uh, anyway, happy Friday! Thank you all for being with us. We are discussing uh, the latest events surrounding the uh, Breonna Taylor murder, and uh, we are here with Kevin Anderson of Anderson and Welch. And uh, we're not taking questions. Uh, this is pre-recorded today, but um, at a later date, we will take the questions. I, I, I always have a bunch of questions usually for Kevin, but I, I wanted him to kind of have time to, to help us understand, you know, everything surrounding these uh, new charges uh, with the case and, um, you know, and to answer some questions. One of the questions I do have is that I know that since her murder, um, there have been uh, efforts to change the uh, no-knock uh, warrant process. Can you uh, enlighten us a little bit about that? Sure. Those efforts at the federal level have stalled. Uh, there is nothing that has come out of uh, our Congress that would uh, change how the feds operate from a, uh, a legislative perspective concerning the no-knock warrants. Uh, President Biden has uh, executed an executive order that uh, does address these things, but uh, it's not legislation. And executive orders are rescinded all the time. Uh, legislation, which would be a law, uh, would uh, be certainly the strongest uh, and most effective way to uh, now uh, control or limit or guide the, uh, the warrant process and uh, to make applications for a no-knock warrant under certain circumstances, but we don't have that. Therefore, uh, the states have now uh, individually, one by one, addressed the issue. If they chose to do so, some have ignored that issue. Uh, So we have that provision still in Florida that a a warrant can be obtained and uh, it can uh, uh, be issued with a provision that there be uh, silent for the entry of the police officers into uh, the premises for certain reasons. So that, that's where we are with respect to, to the no-knock warrant. But uh, particularly in Kentucky, though, uh, with uh, the, uh, the um, Breonna Taylor case, there was a civil claim that was uh, asserted against um, the uh, uh, the city of, of Louisville, and uh, there was also a civil claim um, asserted against the the uh, Louisville um, one of the Louisville officers in the case for her death, which included provisions to uh, reform the way that business is conducted when types of uh, warrants are uh, signed off on and executed by law enforcement officers in the field. Uh, so. Uh, there is some movement uh, in uh, in Kentucky, uh, but that movement was the uh, was motivated by that twelve million dollar settlement, that, you know, which is the highest settlement uh, ever for the city of Louisville, and the legislatures, uh, not the legislatures, but the police departments, the police departments willingness to structure policies which would be different. Um, there is nothing that I saw from the from the state level, from the legislative state level in Kentucky, which uh, mandated a change. But I do see that the police department undertook policies uh, which uh, addressed, I'll say, the known off warrant status. Okay, a couple of questions with regards to incidents like this. Number one, body cameras. 
is there an increased push? Um, I know we, I keep hearing, oh, they're so expensive, they're this, that, and the other. Wouldn't body cameras on these officers be a lot less expensive than the lawsuits that, that they might face? Well, if. And jail time? And only if, if and only if the cameras dissuaded the officers from their misconduct. I'm mm-hmm. not so sure that we are getting uh, much leverage because these incidents are being recorded. You know, we still are seeing excessive force. We're still seeing uh, people uh, falsely arrested. And Mm -hmm. um, it it just doesn't seem to to be something that the police officers are uh, allowing to to stop them from from doing whatever it is that that, – that they've decided to do in the field. Uh, in time, my belief is that there are going to be a generation of officers that respect the fact that, that you're being recorded, and if you get caught doing something uh, illegal, that you're going to be prosecuted, and therefore you need to stop it. And you know, I think, I think in time that will happen. But um, it, it, it would be cheaper, yeah, you know, if it worked. I'm not so sure it does work. Uh, I'm not so sure it does work. Interesting question that, that you put out there. So my other question is doorbell cameras. If you had, uh, let's say, uh, vi- you know, doorbell cameras or, or vid- you know, security cameras, can you use those cameras um, in terms of in, in a court for uh, evidence in terms of what what has you know, occurred? Absolutely. Okay. Ask the right so. ask the right question, you get the right answer. All right. <laughs> uh, all right. I, yes. Right. Uh, so I have to thank my brother in law. <laughs> he put in because okay. he, did, he didn't consult with me. I guess he consulted with my husband, but he put in I came home one day, there's a doorbell camera. And and, and it was partially because uh we, we had a break in. Uh we had never had a break in. Had a break in, um I got some stuff stolen but um yeah, I mean, I I think personally, not not just for the police, but just in general, a doorbell camera, a security camera is the way to go. I mean, you can, there's very little that you can dispute, and I say have as many of of them as possible, have all the angles. You know. Um now my question is um can can the whole camera let's say, be used in court, or is it the, just the video part? If it has audio, can you use it? It depends. So okay. let me tell you how that works. Uh, and, and, that, and this goes for for the, the media, irrespective of how you are preserving the media, whether it's uh, through the cloud that is connected to your, your doorbell or the side of your house or a cell phone or, you know, mm-hmm. a dash cam in your car. Uh, the, um, the recording itself uh, is generally admissible, provided mm-hmm. that the, the person who did the recording can uh, attest to the uh, events being the same or substantially the same as when the person recorded the material. Um, that's called authentication. Second, mm-hmm. uh, where there is uh, speaking, that's where things are a little bit more dicey. Uh, right. The, uh, the rules of evidence uh, are very careful not to allow uh, a type of evidence that we refer to as hearsay. Uh, and hearsay is an out-of-court statement that is uh, made uh, for uh, the purpose of now being presented for the truth of the matter asserted. In other words, uh, it's a statement that happened and the opponent or the proponent of the statement, let's say, is uh, then using that to say, hey, this, this, this has to be true because this person said. So you mm-hmm. have to be careful about how you present the words that are spoken, the words that are spoken. So uh, that is a, a, a exercise in uh, legal gymnastics that, you know, fledgling lawyers about right now are going to be, <laughs> are going to be undergoing in a class called evidence in every law school uh, in the United States. So uh, you can get around it all. 
It's uh, generally something that uh, skillful lawyers can uh, include and, and weave into their cases. Uh, there are a number of exceptions to get around here, say, but the general answer for the listening audience is yes, you can get the media and the visual images and, and, the, and the motion picture. And yes, you can get in the words uh, enough to prove or to disprove whatever it is that you're presenting the video uh, to do. All right. So with that being said, I say the next time they have them on sale, especially, you know, if they have, have, have them on sale at your big box store or your, your warehouse store or whatever, or, or, um, however, or the, your, whoever you go to online and get them, get them, get, a, get, get, get as many of them as possible. You know, I mean, seriously, because you just don't know, uh, what's going to happen. It, it may be, it may not just be the police. It may be just anything that occurs, whether it's someone breaking into your house, whether it is domestic violence. We got domestic violence, Awareness Month coming up in a couple of months, you know, whatever it is, get it on camera. I mean, seriously, we're, we're, uh, we, it is unfortunate, it is sad, but we are at that point now where we have to have, um, we can't depend, let's say, even if we have people that witness stuff these days, we can't depend on witnesses, you know. There's intimidation, right. there's fear. You know, you, you can't depend on um uh, you know, people who, people are subjective. Video is not. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah. A, a picture says a thousand words. That's yeah. yeah. That's never been that so true. <laughs> Absolutely. So, yeah. well, uh, I, I want to make sure that, uh, you know, amidst the, 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 the flurry of information that's coming out about the, uh, the, the, the federal charges that the listeners understand in a nutshell what happened, because I think that uh, it's confusing. You know, you're going to hear okay. all kinds of things. You know, I've listened to CNN, I've listened to Fox and MSNBC and NPR, and, you know, the scuttle, you know, as I, as I was in public, actually, people were talking about it online. And, and I'm, I'm thinking, wow, you know, it sounds like, man, they're kind of, uh, you know, uh, transposing some of the, some of the facts here. So, so, so in a nutshell, four people charged, three men, one woman. Two of them were charged with preparing and approving a false search warrant. One of them is charged with covering up the search warrant. And one of them is charged with excessive force for shooting into Ms. Taylor's home. That is the most concise and, and clearest way that I can, I can lay out what the charges are. So, um, because there's definitely going to be a lot going on in the near future concerning the, uh, the tale of shooting. Uh, what kind or how much media coverage do you think this is going to get? Because like I said, you know, I mean, a lot of people have thought, have, thought that this was kind of a, a one-and-done thing, and here we come with the, the federal charges. Uh, you know, I think it deserves attention, but I'm just not sure at this point what, how much or what kind of attention it's going to get. Gee, you are on a roll today. You really are with the good questions, man. That, that's you. a great Thank question. You. <laughs> you are just dynamic this, this morning. We need to do this more often, you know. Um, yeah, I, so- I, I, had, I had my breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so at the federal level, media coverage is uh, is limited. Uh, for openers, there are no television cameras in federal courtrooms. So you're not going to have the, the pomp and circumstance of the cameras or you know, the photographers there taking pictures as the person is sitting at a table or taking a plea or uh, being examined by counsel. Uh, what you may have is, uh, or are drawing based upon the recollection of certain artists, or some of them may be permitted to sit in the courtroom to draw. That's typically how it's done. And uh, as far as uh, things leaking out, you're not going to really get a lot of that because the Department of Justice, uh, their policies are, are, are pretty strict, and the uh, assistant U.S. attorneys who I have dealt with have generally you know, been tight-lipped 
and they've been uh, circumspect about, you know, what it is that uh, is taking place. Uh, so what you may get is a press conference or two from Merrick uh, Garland. Uh, you may get um, uh, one or two things happening uh, from his assistant, U.S. attorney, who's actually kind of overseeing this at the uh, Civil Rights Division. Her name is uh, Kristen Clark. Uh, but, but by and large, uh, you're going to have to see the outcome. Uh, after things take place. Uh, the defense lawyers were pretty much tight-lipped as they were leaving uh, yesterday uh, when the, the first appearance took place for two of the, two of the uh, uh, former and present police officers. Um, let's say there is a media, uh, there's going to be media access through something known as PACER. Uh, PACER is a system that is used and, and it's, it's accessible by everyone uh, for a fee, uh, which will allow one to obtain the indictment, uh, pleading, orders, unless the court determines that those particular items uh, should not be accessible uh, and or uh, the party's request allows for the sealing of certain items. So that's where the information is going to be flowing from. You know, um, you're going to hear the pundits, uh, the people who are experienced, uh, you know, and I'm going to call myself, you know, a pundit, so to speak, you know, who's, you know, kind of gathering little bits and pieces from the, from the things that uh, seem to be uh, recon and, and fairly reliable. Uh, but, um, you know, it's, it's not going to be like uh, in Minneapolis where, you know, every day you, you cut on the TV and you, you got to see, you know, uh, you know, the uh, defendant there uh, going through uh, the, the trial. That you're not going to get that. Hmm. Okay. All right. No, no, this isn't this isn't the Chauvin thing here. No, you're not going to get that. So, right. Um, okay. You know, and I, if I were a listener, I would rely on some of the uh, more um, popular um, media outlets for my information. Uh, rather than uh, to just kind of you know listen to um, kind of the local guys, I, I kind of kind of go, and I don't want to I don't want to you know identify certain stations that they should go to or not go to, but I think mm-hmm. everybody you know knows what what you know what they've been listening to from a more national mm-hmm. standpoint that tend to have gotten other things right, so you know use that, you know. <clears throat> How much does gender of the victim play a role in the attention that these cases get. Um, And I know, for example, the circumstances were a little bit different between George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, you know, there's, you know, actual video coverage of this man dying pretty much uh, with George Floyd. Uh, But still, um, what, how much do you think that the gender of a victim of the victim we know that race plays a difference in terms of how certain situations are handled. But what about gender? For uh, Ms. Taylor, uh, she's made history, as I, as I stated. Uh, mm-hmm. This is the first time that the Department of Justice has ever prosecuted a police officer federally for killing a black woman in the history of the country. Um, and uh, that's going to well, play uh, some part, but it's it's relatively historic in nature. Uh, I I don't believe that it's going to result in any uh, greater uh, level of prosecution or more vigorous activity that's out there because she is a woman. Uh, but it's um, you know, it's, it's just uh, it, it, it's aggravating uh, to. Uh, to have uh, any person to be the victim of. of uh, this type of, uh, of crime. Um, and um, particularly in her case, uh, my belief is that she wasn't killed because she was a woman. And she happened to have been a woman. If I would have been standing there, I would have been killed as a man. Uh, so, um, No, I, I, but I, 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 and I understand that. My, my thing is not necessarily whether or not she was killed because she was a woman, but how the situation is treated. What kind of, um, basically what kind of respect the case gets. Because we we know in our society, you know, a lot of things that um, happen to women kind of get kind of brushed over sometimes. Um, 
this because you say it's a historic case, um, you know, it's, get, it's getting a little more attention, but this can't have been the only case where something has happened, you know. No, no, no. It's not. It's not the only time that that a woman has been has been uh, killed at the hands of a police officer, where excessive force or some type of uh, malfeasance uh, was connected to the to the killing. No, it's not. Uh, but you, you bring up a, a, a uh, an interesting point that I'm sure criminologists uh, all over the the country uh, might pursue. I mean, this is something that's interesting to me as well when when you when you talk about the treatment of the case. Uh, for a, a a a female victim as opposed to a male victim, you know, does it get the gamut of an investigation? Does it get uh, all the resources that are generally put out for a homicide investigation? Um, I am interested in looking at that, um, and I can only give you a um, a, a guess uh, regarding how things are going to uh, be dealt with in the Taylor matter. Um, and I think it's atypical for her. I wouldn't look at her case as the prototype for these types of uh, investigations when we're trying to isolate gender. I would look at others uh, in the past, and then I would look at others going forward in order to come up with some type of uh, statistic that uh, kind of divines how these things are treated for a woman as opposed to a man. Okay, so uh, and do do you uh, have a kind of a guesstimate in terms of a timeline before we have, uh, a, I guess, a result or a decision? I think that uh, Goodlett, Good, I'm sorry, yes, Goodlett, Kelly Goodlett, hers is going to be done quick. It'll probably be before, um, probably before Halloween, maybe even Labor Day. <laughs> um, okay. I and my belief is that she's going to enter a plea, and she's going to just sit back and be that that you know that hammer that will be used to force the other ones to get on their knees, uh, because that's how it's done. You pick one off, and you put mm-hmm. that one in in the corner, and you, you say, "Hey, look, I got this guy ready to come in. He's going to do you. He's, uh, she's going to do you. You better come in and plead guilty." So I think it's going to be done really quickly. Um, the other two, one of the guys, the uh, the sergeant, uh, Sergeant Meany, who signed off on the warrant that was drafted by um, Joshua James, Sergeant Meany may take this thing for a ride because, you know, he, um, he signed off uh, on the warrant and he lied to the FBI about uh, his request for a no-knock warrant. But then, you know, I was reading the transcript. Um, it's being stated that he lied, but, I, but there's a little play in what he said there. So I think me mm. might take this thing for a ride here. Uh, but for James, and for, for, you know, James is the person who colluded with Goodlett. James is gone, man. I think James is going to cop a plea real quick. Um, and Hankerson, Hankerson's gone too. You know, he, you know there's no question that, that Hankerson used excessive force by shooting 10 times. Uh, into uh, mm-hmm. into her home. There's no reason for that. I mean, he he's gone to. So he's going to probably cop a plea, even though he's found not guilty at state court. That momentum only rides him out for a minute. Different story yeah. when you got 12 people sitting on a jury, man, in federal court. Yeah. Kevin, gotta go, but thank you so much for breaking it all down and answering those questions. And uh, you know, I'm going to have you back on pretty soon. So just don't don't go don't go traveling too far. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so Thank much you. for having me on this morning. Thank you for being there for us. We really appreciate it, and you have a blessed weekend. And thank you all for listening. And y'all have a blessed weekend, too. Look forward to talking to you again next week. This has been G's Power Hour. I've never had it so good entertainment. I am your host, G. Be well, be safe, be blessed, be well. Too many of my friends getting sick. Y'all need to stay well. But please remember. All power comes from God. Take care.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.